pray, and then we'll get into Word tonight. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your Son. We thank you, Jesus, for taking our place on the cross. Everything we need is in the cross. You paid for it all. May we recognize that and embrace that. And as we talked about Sunday, Lord, that we would embrace your finished work, what you finished at the cross. May we appropriate that in our lives, Lord. Thank you for your word. Your word is magnified above your name, you said. You have magnified your word above your name. And you are the word. You are the word made flesh. And so we're thankful, Lord, that you've not left us to ourselves, but you've given us a plan. And you've given us the Holy Spirit, like we talked about this morning, to be our guide and our teacher and our source and the power in us. We're thankful, Lord. We don't deserve any of this. But in your mercy, you've given it to us, and we receive it with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to have to get another set of glasses. All right, First John, or excuse me, First Timothy chapter 1. We're not going to Hames or Hood tonight. We're going to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> So we didn't get very far last week, may not get too far this week, but let's just see what the Lord has to say to us. It says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. So the law's in place. Paul said, I didn't know sin until the law came. The law came to identify the wrong, right? Now, once you've been given the Holy Spirit, you can tell things are wrong even before you see them with your eyes. I mean, you, the Holy Spirit gives us some level of discernment. And then some, he gives them even greater levels through the manifestations and through the gifts, the gifts in Romans 12 and the manifestations in 1 Corinthians 12. And we're going to get into all that as we teach on Wednesday mornings at 6.30. But we all have some level. The Bible says our spirit bears witness so, have you ever been around somebody before, and you didn't know if they were a Christian or not, but you could feel it? You can feel it a lot of times, right? And uh, so, because the same spirit that's in you is in them, and there's a witness there. So, uh, the law is made for people who are not good, <laughs> people who don't want to do the right thing. But we all have a conscience. Now, what happens to those people in the book of James, it says people have their conscience seared, like with a hot iron, he makes that, that uh, analogy there because they just continue to override that consciousness, right, and that discernment. And so God has dealt to every man a measure of faith. All of us are going to be without excuse someday when we stand before the Lord. The Bible says every one of us will give an account of ourselves someday before the Lord. Every single one of us. We're going to all stand before God. And so we need to remind ourselves of that. Not so we go run and hide, but just it's like those, those things that they have to put in the gutters when you go bowl. 
those little blow-up things so your ball won't go in the gutter? Is that what they do for you when you go to bowl? So that, that's, God uses those things. That's like a gutter protector. Just remember, before you send that thing out, before you press sin, or before you say something, or before you get involved, just remember, you're going to have to talk to God about that someday. It's, it's a good gutter barrier, right, to keep your ball from going into the gutter. And then he says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer. Now Paul's talking here about himself, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Now he's talking about himself. Paul was a, not a good dude before he came to Christ. And you know he had that experience on uh, in Acts there where he was on the road to Damascus. The Lord basically blinds him, knocks him to the ground, and he surrenders his life to Christ. He really thought he was doing the right thing. And we get more evidence of that here. He thought that these people that were promoting Christ and were coming against God's plan. I, I think I told you that story many times about the Jewish guy. I said, can you not understand when I was talking to him, can you not understand we've always heard how important Moses and Abraham and all those guys were and what they handed off to us. What the, and then here comes somebody saying, you've heard it said by, but I say unto you. He said, that's hard for us to overcome. Right? Because they've always grew up. So Paul grew up. He was a, knew the law probably inside and out. He probably may be one of the smartest men that ever walked the earth. And he was very skilled in all that, but he was blind to the Christ. He was blind to Jesus, the Messiah. And so God stopped him. Aren't we glad God stopped him on that road? Because he wrote most of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit used Paul to pin down most of the New Testament. So... Uh, Paul is, has an unusual experience with God that arrests him, basically, brings him to his knees, and Jesus said to him, Why are you kicking against the pricks? I'm trying to get your attention, but you keep kicking against it. How about you? Is God using the prick to try and get your attention about something? Is he wanting you to come up a little higher? Is he wanting you to lay something down that's working against your spiritual life? Is he want, is he, is that's, see, that's the Holy Spirit. If you want to know how the, the Holy Spirit is kind of like uh, an agitator. I mean, he tries to get our attention about things. He wants us to line up with God's Word because that's the only sure thing there is in this world. And if you've not woke up to that yet, I don't know what to tell you. The only sure thing we have in this world is God's Word. The Bible says heaven and earth are going to pass away, but his word is going to stand forever. It says it in both. Isaiah says that, and Peter reaffirms it in the New Testament. Jesus is the word. So when you line up with the word, you're lining up with Jesus. Whatever you've got going on in here that you call your experience with God through Christ, whatever you need to make sure what's going on in here is lining up with God and his word. You don't, we don't get to play by our own rules. We don't get to call our own shots. That's what Christianity is. Christianity is where I come lay my life down for the Lord, and then He calls the shots. He gets to run our lives for us. And that's not really good, is it? Because we did a wonderful job running them without Him, didn't we? 
So God, and here's the beauty of that. Remember that? It's been probably a year or so now. I preached that Hebrew word that means God's already been around the corner before you get to the corner. He knows everything about everything. God is the only one who knows how many seeds are in the watermelon before it's opened. So God, the Holy Spirit, knows everything about everything. Why would we not pay attention to Him? You don't know everything about everything. I don't know everything about everything. No one knows everything about everything except for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So why would we try to govern and navigate without checking with God? First His Word, then in our prayer time, and be in a position where you can hear from Him. God wants to speak to us. He, he loves talking. Think about how you would be as a father or as, a, as somebody that you, you want to have interaction with the people you love. Well, so does God. God's not stoic sitting over there in a corner somewhere, uh, don't want to be bothered. God ne neither sleeps nor slumbers. God wants to be a part of your everyday life, of my everyday life. He wants to direct your life. And I, I can just look, just in the last week, some of the events that have taken place that I didn't have planned, I see the beauty of how God worked in those. A couple of encounters I had in situations to where the beauty of God being able to direct our lives. Some people are so programmed, the Holy Spirit can't get a word in. I know that wouldn't be God because I was supposed to do this at 6 o'clock. Right? I know that wouldn't be God. He wouldn't mess with my routine. What? He blew everybody's routine out of the water constantly. Lay that down. Whatever you're doing when the Holy Spirit's speaking, lay it down. Get to it tomorrow. Don't be so rigid that the Holy Spirit can't mess with your schedule a little bit. He wants to mess with your schedule. He wants to bring you in. And Jesus was so adamant about being with the Father. Sometimes we read in the Scripture that he would, if the people pressed him all day long, he would skip sleeping. Because he knew that spending time with his father was more important, than the, more important than the sleep. Now listen to me. I try to be as healthy as I can. But bodily exercise profits a little, the Bible says. But godliness profits a lot, is what Paul teaches. So I, I try to take care of myself as best as I can. But I don't, you shouldn't be doing natural things at the expense of spiritual things. And he should fit them all in, right? I like what the guy, who was the guy that wrote uh, The Purpose Driven Life? Rick. Oh, Rick. Uh, he talks about if you've got more <clears throat> than you can get done in 24 hours of a day, you're trying to do too much. I like that line. I like what the monks tell me when I go up and hang out with the monks. Not the monkeys, the monks. I need to be in the circus probably. But they say God never intended for us to process the amount of information we're trying to process. You don't need to know everything about everything. You've got somebody who already does. You, you don't need to know all the latest everything about everything. Just trust the Lord. Say it with me. Some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. That's our, that's our goal. We want, to get, we want to make sure that God has got our attention and that He can get our attention anytime He'd like to speak to us or hand something off to us. 
And he'll speak in unusual places. Have you noticed that? You'll be walking down the aisle in Walmart and God will be there trying to get your attention about something. So whatever the prick is, the gold that, they're, that the Holy Spirit's using maybe to get your attention, maybe, maybe it's nothing bad. Maybe he just wants you to step into something so you'll go on up spiritually. Or maybe he's trying to get your attention because there's someone he would like for you to witness to. Or maybe just take them something and get the door open, right? That, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And you're going to see that in just a minute, his goal that the Holy Spirit has for all of us. And he says, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world, in verse 15, to save sinners. That's why he came, to save sinners. You've you got to be saved. You've got to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've got to follow him. That's, that's the whole plan. And your life will be better by following him than doing it on your own. Everything will turn out better. Now, it may cost you some friends. It may cost you some stuff that your flesh enjoys. But God will always bring greater joy than anything the world has to offer. Amen? That's all temporary. That's why you got when the world gets caught up in its addictions and all that stuff, it has to keep going back and going back. Why? It does not satisfy. But the Lord offers us something greater than that, right? He offers And He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. So Paul is speaking of himself. He's, he's the lowly. He's got a humbleness about him. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first, first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So Paul's saying, I'm an example to others because I was ignorant and hard-headed and, and God had to suffer long with me. Uh, this is a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul mentions something that Moses understood. He calls God the invisible God. Now, that bothers us sometimes, right? We just wish God would show up and in, the, in the natural realm and show us who he is, right? Well, he shows us who he is all the time, right? He does. But the Bible says the reason Moses was able to endure, now this is an oxy thing, right? Because he could see him who is invisible. We see him, right? We see him in his word. We see him in uh, our other brothers and sisters. We see his work. You, you cannot look at Israel and not know God's in charge. You're either blind or you just don't want to hear it. Because when you look at what's happened to Israel since 1948, all these prophets who prophesied that Israel was going to come back as a nation, that Jerusalem was going to leave the control of Gentiles and go back under the control of the Jews, that all this stuff is going to happen, those are just two big ones, that Jerusalem would be a stumbling block to the whole world. That is the stumbling block that everybody gets worked up over. Who should have control of Jerusalem? But that's God's city. It don't, and I know this may come across offensive to some of my Jewish friends, but it don't even belong to you. It belongs to God. That's the only city in the world that God put his name on. He didn't put his name on Danville. He didn't put his name on Lexington. He didn't put his name on New York. He didn't put his name on Moscow. He didn't put his name on uh, anywhere else in the world. God put his name on Jerusalem. It's the city of our God. So that's a place that God is going to come back to. 
That's his city. And then there's going to be a new Jerusalem, the Bible says, that comes down. So God is adamant. And so if you, if you read the history of the UN, when they get together, and I forget, there's like 200 and some countries in the world, how many countries there are, then they get together, 50% of their agenda is about one country and mostly about one city. So the prophet said, Jerusalem is going to be a stumbling block to the whole world. 50%. Now you think, one state, one, one world state that's about a little bit bigger than the state of Maryland in this nation, that when the UN meets, and if they've got 100 things on their agenda, around 50 of them will be about that one country. Because the devil hates everything God loves. The devil is tried, he's, he's the adversary, he's our opposition, he opposes everything God does. So when you see how the prophets were right, you can't trust the news media, I agree. But you can trust the prophets because they weren't writing of their own. The Holy Spirit, uh, Paul said in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit moved those guys and they pinned down what he said was going to come to pass. And whatever God says is going to come to pass is going to come to pass. He said he was going to send his son, that his son would die on a cross, that his son would rise on the third day. Everything God says is going to come to pass. So whatever you read in here, and just like the prophecies of Israel becoming a nation again and Jerusalem becoming, going back to their control, those, these prophets prophesied that hundreds of years ago. And I, I've shared this before, but even in the 18th century, if you study like I like to read, you go back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, people inside the church, good people, loved God, that wasn't the issue, but they could not wrap their head around Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, where Jesus said, Israel is going to be a nation again. They couldn't understand that, they, because they were looking at it in a carnal way. And I'm going to say a word to you here. That's what we've got to get out of right now. We cannot look at this world in a carnal way. We've got to have spiritual eyes. We've got to be able to see him who is invisible, because this world's going backwards, right? It's going backwards. So these theologians, good preachers, were saying, we must be misunderstanding. They wouldn't say the word of God was wrong. And that was good. They didn't need to do that. They would say things like, we must mis be misunderstanding Matthew 24 that's talking about the end of time and Mark 13, Luke 21, where Israel's going to become a nation again because there's no way that'll ever happen. Let God be true and everybody else a liar. That's exactly what happened in 1948. And then in 1967, the city came back. So we have an invisible God that's clearly seen if your eyes are open. You can clearly see his hand at work. Russia, everybody thought Russia was dead. Even some of the presidents laughed about Russia coming back to life. God said Russia's coming back to life. And guess what? They're back to life. See, God's got all these players. The Bible says he raises up kings and brings them down. He's the one that puts people in authority. So God is... He's in charge. That should give us so much confidence. No matter what goes on in the world, no matter how many wars go on or what's going on in the financial world or anything, our God is in control. Let's give him some praise for that. Amen. Find my glasses here. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy. Now, Timothy was like his 
son in the faith, he said, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. So God had spoken things over Timothy, and many of you have had God's given you words over the years, myself included, prophetic things, things that he was directing you with, telling you maybe something that's going to come down the road in the future. And we got some of that a couple of years ago. The Lord really kept us in the loop. He says, to the prophecies previously made concerning you that by them you may wage a good warfare. In other words, you need to have confidence in what God says, whether he says it out of this book to you, whether he says it when you pray, whatever. Or maybe God hands it off to you through somebody that says, man, the Lord really wanted me to hand this off to you, right? Whatever, you need to understand when God's talking to you, however he talks to you, you need to put your faith into that. And wage the good fight, wage the war. Having faith, a good conscience, and some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So they got crossways somewhere along the journey. They're like the guy in Acts who tried to buy the Holy Spirit with money. Remember that? And they had to rebuke him. They're also like the guy in Corinthians where Paul said, you know, there's a guy... In Corinthians, and Paul's addressing it, he said he's living with his stepmother in the wrong relationship. He's not just staying there. They're in, a bad, they're in the wrong kind of relationship. And Paul talks about it, and he says, let that guy be put out of the church that his flesh might be destroyed so his soul might be saved. That's strong. That's in your Bible. That's some strong language, ain't it? Turn a guy loose out there. That he, might, that he might come to his senses. Now, we all, this is kind of like a probably more that we would associate this more with Catholic doctrine, but it's a biblical doctrine. It's excommunication. The idea, if you read Paul's writings, the idea is constantly to restore people. That's his whole idea. You that are, uh, see a brother in fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a brother in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted or fall, right? Those are, those are all through the Holy Spirit. Put all through. But the idea of excommunication in the biblical sense is not to get rid of somebody. The idea of biblical excommunication was to put somebody outside so they would see what they're missing out on and they would desire to get back into that. That was a, it, wasn't to, it wasn't to get rid of somebody. That, that's not, God's not willing that any should perish. That's not his desire that any would perish, but that all would come under repentance. So when you see that happening, that, and so God does that. My, one of my closest friends in high school, whom I loved dearly, we had great fellowship together. We, we were serving the Lord together uh, in college. Everything was good, and then he left the body of Christ, and he turned to the homosexual lifestyle. And he would come in. I, every time he'd come in, he knew how I stood on God's Word. But when he'd come in, like once or twice a year, he would come, and he'd sit in the back of the church. He'd just sit there. He knew I loved him. He knew I didn't condone what he was, how he was living, but he knew I loved him. And he come in one night, and it was different. He come in, he come, he said, I need to talk to you in your office after church. So we went back to the office, and he said, uh, he, he said I, I'm dying. I got the dreaded disease that comes along with that lifestyle. 
most of his family just kind of blew him off. He knew I loved him. I didn't compromise the truth with him, but he knew I loved him. And he sat there and told me how the Lord brought him back and forgave him and restored him. And I wept the whole time, about an hour's worth of listening to him talk. And when I saw how the Lord loved him and brought him back before he died and restored him, I was so impressed with my God. He, he said that the Lord gave him a vision. This is when he was still running and doing his own thing. He said, and then when he got the, the, the death sentence, he said, I just thought I couldn't come back. He said, I thought I'd done too much, went too far. And now I got what I deserved. He said, but the Lord came to him in a vision one night. He said, in my vision, he said, I was laying in a mud hole. And I was just covered in every kind of foul thing you could think of in that mud hole. And he said, I looked up out of the mud hole, and standing next to the mud hole was Jesus in a beautiful white robe. And he said, he got in that mud hole with that white robe on and walked into that mud hole and picked me up. And he said, I stunk. I was covered. And he said, he picked me up and carried me out of that mud hole and, gave, and told me that I was forgiven and cleaned me up and took me back in. That's how the Lord rescued him. I buried him. wasn't long after that. One of his sisters came, I think, maybe a couple of his sisters, but most of his family kind of just forgot about him. But I'm going to see him in heaven. You think about, and we know our God's that way, but to see it and hear it and know the background of somebody, just him just coming in and just, it was, and he, what was so, he, there was a lot more to that. But he, what was so, what so ministered to me is that Jesus didn't care how dirty his garment was. He didn't care how muddy and how much he stunk. He said, I was a mess. And he come in and carried me out. So I'm going to look for him when my number's called or when the Lord comes back. It don't matter how far you are out there. The Lord loves you. And he's willing to take you in. In fact, there's a Psalm 27 that says, When mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will take you in. And that's, that's how beautiful our God is. So the God does do extreme things. We talked a couple weeks ago a little bit of how sometimes trouble and tribulation gets stuff out of us, right? It causes us to pay attention and see what God's after. God's after something in you. He's not content with you just hanging out. God wants to be purposeful in your life. And the more he can do that, the better off we are. Therefore, I exhort you, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. So taking care of the flesh profits a little. It does profit a little. But godliness is what really profits. Living godly. <clears throat> 
The Bible says your life will be lengthened if you obey your parents. I need to be over in the next building preaching that, don't I? <laughs> uh, so there's benefits to doing it God's way, right? There's certainly benefits to doing it God's way. He says, so we should pray for people in authority. We did that this morning. We had some prayer this morning where we prayed for those in authority. Uh, even if they're not saved, even if we don't like them, right? And he says that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. So Paul said in another place, you should live peaceably with all men as much as life within you. Now you can't make everybody love you. And some people are not going to like you no matter what. But let it not be something in you. Always have a door open for forgiveness for people. You know, we've all lived life. We've all had people mad at us, angry at us. Sometimes we've, I've had opportunities, I'm sure you have too, to restore relationships. Sometimes maybe we can't never do it. But don't let it be you that's the one that won't do it. Let it be on their end. You be willing. You be open. You be the one that's forgiven. And how can you do that? You can go look in the mirror and look at that person and remember how much you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That'll help you. That'll help you. Because we've all had to have forgiveness. He said, freely you receive, freely you give. So if you want to help yourself forgive others, just go look in the mirror. Get off your high horse and go look in the mirror and remember how many times the Lord's forgiven you. What if God would have said, well, you know, that's about the 15th time. I ain't feeling it this time. What if God done us that way? He said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can keep coming. They said, how many times we got to forgive them? And, and, and Jesus said, 70 times 7 a day. Whoa, 490 times. I don't even know if anybody could get offended that many times in one day. But that 490 is about prophetic things. It means basically Jesus is saying, you've got to keep forgiving until this thing's over. Because that's those, that prophecy out of Daniel. So he's telling us, you've got to keep forgiving. And it'll help you. And sometimes you'll have to forgive and release people even if they won't hear you. You've got to take it to the Lord and release them. Because it'll be an interference in your life. I know people that are, uh, that are still held captive by somebody who's in the grave. Because they won't forgive them. That ain't no count. And forget about all the stuff they done to you. And maybe they did. Come back to the mirror. And remember all the stuff you've done to the Lord. Remember. That's how forgiveness works. It either works for all. Or don't work at all. I was going to try to get y'all in there since we're in Kentucky, but they didn't. So he says, for there is one God, one mediator. <clears throat> Let me back up. For it is good and acceptable in the sight of the Lord's Savior who desires men to be saved if we live peaceably. He desires men to be saved. When you're so upset with somebody, even if it's a political figure, remember, God wants them saved. Now, I forget that too. I understand. And sometimes I don't want to remember it. But you just want to be mad, right? You just want to be mad about it. How dare you? But God wants them all saved. He desires men, all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the problem. People are not 
coming to the knowledge of truth. Let's go to First Peter, excuse me, Second Peter, uh, and let's look at um, chapter three, verse eight. He says it's his desire that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. You should guard truth more than anything else. This is the words of life. You should guard it. This should be the most precious thing you attend to in your life. It should be this word, the Bible, the word of God, that should be the thing you guard the most more than your IRA or anything. This should be it. He says in chapter 3, verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day, and that's a prophetic utterance out of the book of Hosea. We're not going to get into that. We'll chase a rabbit all night if we do. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. That's us, right? If God don't show up when we think He ought to, if we, get, we send Him a schedule and He's not using it, right? Then... We, we think he's not doing his job. He's slack, right? But God's perfect. He can't do any wrong. So his, the timing of God is not up to us. It's up to him. And so we've got to be content and wait because we know our Father has our best interest in mind. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, but is long-suffering. And that's probably my favorite attribute of the Lord especially since I've been saved. Just how long-suffering he is. Do you, know what, do you know what he has to put up with with you and me? He's long-suffering. And now, now think about this. God's taking us on a journey. He's trying to work stuff out of us, get the leaves out like Ezekiel talks about, get, the, get the, the chaff off the top of the gold as he heats it up and boils it and then get the stuff that mars it out so he can see his own reflection. He's doing that in all of our lives. God's working on an eternal creature with you. What would you be doing if you were going to have to live with you forever? Think about it. We'll ask your spouse. Or your child, or your best friend. Say, what do they need? Well, that's what God, God's saying. We're going to bring those folks up here. Let's work on them a while before we get them here. And that's what's happening. God's working on all of us, right? That's why you're not perfected yet. He's, he's an awesome God. We're His little children. And He's steering us, bringing us into situations, and growing us through that, just like we would somebody who's an understudy, or somebody who's our child working underneath us. And then he says, it's not his, he's, he's not slack as men count, but his long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. But that all should come under repentance. That's Adolf Hitler. That's Charles Manson. It wasn't his will that any of them perish. But they refused him and chose their own way. Now, People don't choose the devil usually. I mean, there's a few devil worshipers that are out there, loonies. But most people don't choose the devil per se. You're, you are choosing Satan and his schemes and his side. But they really, we just choose our own way. And we're just playing right into the hands of Satan. Because he don't want you. There's one way, right? The way is straight and narrow. Straight and narrow, Jesus said. 
And the other one is broad, right? Straight and narrow. The Greek word for straight is stenos. It's where we get the word stenosis. The narrowing of something, right? And that's the word that's used there. Then Jesus said the way is straight and narrow. So the way we call the pisteo path, it is the Greek word means narrowing. So what happens to somebody's arteries when they need stents? They used to be bigger, didn't they? They gnawed. They got Nora. They narrowed, right? So they got narrowed because of the plaque buildup and whatever else you threw in there or I threw in there, right? And so that's the word that's being used here. Now, before we just say, oh, one's to heaven, one's hell, there's a lot being said here. <clears throat> we know the broad path, when you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there, right? The broad path goes to hell. You don't want to go that path. You want to go this path because it's distinct. He gave us clear understanding. He said, this path is straight and narrowing. It's not windy. Why is it straight? Because this is straightforward. I mean, the Lord, he, he just lays it out straight. He calls, he, does, he calls the balls and strikes, and they're right. And so, stick man gets saved, gets born again, redeemed, whatever you want to say about yourself. You come into the path of God. Seek you first the kingdom of God. Right here's God. All these things will be added unto you. Matthew 6, 33. So he goes on his way to God. He's been redeemed. He's been forgiven. Jesus Christ has invaded his life. He's, in, he's on his way to heaven. Now that he's on his way to heaven, he's in that straight path. It's clearly seen. It's through Jesus Christ. There is no other way whereby men might be saved. So it's clear, distinct, straight. You can't miss it if you're looking for it. All right? Because it's different than any other path. It's through Christ. He's on his way up here. And what's happening as he's going up? This thing's coming in on him. Right? Because that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Why is it coming in on him? It's coming in on him because... We want less of us, right, and more of God, right? So God's working on you and I so that it'll be less of me and more of Him. When they came to John the Baptist and Jesus had burst out onto the scenes, they said to John and his disciples, they said, or they told John, they said, some of your disciples are leaving you and following Jesus, which was what was supposed to happen. He was the forerunner. He wasn't the Messiah. He was the prophet pointing the way to Jesus. He's the one that announced him, right? He said, Behold, the Lamb of God takes away sin. So now they're, they're, this is the religious crowd. This is how they do. They're trying to stir him up. Like, how dare him take my disciples? He's got his own. You know? And his response is so much humility, and it's where we all need to be. He said, He must increase and I must decrease. Now that's a mouthful. Because there's a spiritual principle at work there. And it works in this path. You just can't bow up on God and stop somewhere in the path and make camp. You've got to keep moving. And this path's going to narrow in. But that's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's taking the rough edges off of us. And your, your family's glad. 
that he's taking the rough edges off of you and me, right? So he's taking these rough edges off because this way stenosis, narrowing in on. Why is it narrowing in on? It's narrowing in on so there'll be less of you and I and more of Jesus. I want to say this in closing. The world don't need to see us. They need to see Jesus. We need to die to ourselves and let him control our lives. And I'll give you this to help you understand so that we can grasp this. And I'm not talking about you and I being perfect. I'm talking about you and I being good representations of our boss, our Savior, our Lord, our King, right? So Jesus comes on the scene one day and they say, hey, you're good, right? Jesus' response to that throws a lot of people off. He said, there's none good except for God, the Father, right? And a lot of people say, well, why would he say that? He, he's, he was saying that because when they saw Jesus, they were okay with him being a good rabbi or a good teacher. They were okay with him being a prophet. But they could not stomach that he was the Son of God. That was their Jews' issue with him. That Just like the guy I was telling you that I had a meeting with a couple years ago. They could not go there. So they, they recognized how good he was. And, how, and, and that he was all that. When they said that, Jesus wasn't saying he wasn't good. A lot of people misspeak that. And I've even heard people preach that. It's horrible. <laughs> Jesus is good. He's perfect. He had no sin. You're good when you don't have any sin. What Jesus was saying, he was addressing that crowd that was saying, we don't believe you're who you say you are. You're a good guy. You may even be a prophet. But we can't go there. You're not the only begotten Son of God. And what Jesus was saying, if you're calling me good, you got to recognize me as God. I'm part of the Godhead. I'm, the, I'm one of the Trinity. I'm the Son. He said, you can't just get by that easy. You can't sit there and call me good and all these things and not recognize who I am. And then where's the proof? Third day. There's the proof. Now, and I've tried to get you all to get prepared for this. When those people say, well, that's what your Bible says. He rose on the third day. That's not the only place. The Jews and the Romans both testified that he rose, not just your Bible. And they were trying to buy people off to get them to lie about it. That is in the Bible. So Jesus is alive, the infallible proof. Next time you've got somebody come up to you with something that's contrary to the word, use the line I use all the time. You go die, rise from the dead, then we'll hear you out. But right now, until somebody else dies and rises from the dead to eternal life, I'm going with the one that done that. That's where I'm staking my life. Let's give the Lord some praise. Amen. Okay. So before we pray and dismiss you, the, there's a marriage retreat. If you want to sign up for that, we can still take a few more signees for that. The ARC trip is in August. Uh, the one for July has been nixed because there's not enough people signing up. So August, there's a trip to the Ark, and it's all it's, the bus will be here. Johnny Morgan will be driving the bus. You'll load up on that, and the, all your meal. I think uh, uh, one, which singing group's going to be there? The Isaacs will be there, and Jeffries, the preacher. Uh, from Texas, it's on TV a few sometimes. Uh, he'll be there from Dallas. So 
there's a lot of stuff going on that day to go to the ark. So you can get that information if you want to go. They're trying to fill a bus up about 50. It's a nice bus. It'll be a nice ride from here. Also, the newsletter will be coming out hopefully next week. And we'll, like I said, we're going to do that every month. God is good. Amen. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. Thank you for your love and mercy. We thank you for your long-suffering. We are, we are needy for you. We can live without a lot of things, Lord, but we can't live without you. We're so thankful for your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name.